Is there a lot of women that fake orgasms? 67% have faked orgasm at one time or another. And they most often fake during intercourse. And they often do so for one or one of three reasons they give. What's up, lovely humans? It's your girl, Yancy, and you're listening to That's Exciting, the podcast. For the new listeners, I am your host, and I am somebody who is curious about intimacy, relationships, and sexuality. So on every episode, we explore different topics around those topics. And today, we're talking about orgasms, and specifically about the orgasm gap. Now, if you're someone with a vulva listening to this episode right now, you may like myself have felt like your genitalia was broken for a long time i thought i was abnormal because i wasn't able to orgasm as fast as women in porn why women in porn because that's the sexual education i had there's the one that we had in school yes for sure but it was more aimed towards anatomy than anything else so no pleasure talk so where do you go to have a representation of what pleasure should be porn and that's been the case for myself and I've talked to some friends and it's been the case for them too. So I had to unlearn a bunch of things and realize that my body is not the problem. If 67% of women fake orgasms for three reasons that Dr. Mintz is going to talk about later in the episode, but one of them being that they feel like they're broken, we're not the problem here. And it's most likely the education that we have around sex. So without further ado, let me present today's guest. Dr. Laura Mintz is a professor at the University of Florida, where she teaches human sexuality to hundreds of graduates yearly. She has published over 55 academic works. She's the author of two popular press books, both published studies demonstrating their effectiveness. Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm and Quality Matters and How to Get It and A Tired Woman's Sex Guide to Passion. Mintz has a private practice working with clients on general and sexual issues. She's a fellow of the American Psychological Association, indicating that her work has had positive national influence on the field of psychology. So today we're gonna talk about the orgasm gap, sex education, and also how to improve sexual communication or just communication in the bedroom. Without further ado, enjoy today's episode. Hello, Dr. Mintz. I'm super happy to have super happy to have you on the podcast. <laughs> I am super happy to be here. Thank you for having me on. The initial question I ask all my guests is what are your sexual green flags? For the new listeners, sexual green flags are indicators that you'll have pleasurable, safe, and consensual sex. You know, I love that you asked about green flags because we often talk about red flags, right? Well, let me just say, I haven't thought about that in years because I have been married to the same person for 37 years. Um, and it's always a green flag with my partner because we have really good communication and respect, etc. I could think back way back when, or I can answer it more contemporary because I spend a lot of time talking to young women. I teach the psychology of human sexuality at the University of Florida, hundreds of students a year, and I'm in private practice and I see a lot of young women. But a green flag is someone who actually says, I care about your pleasure. What do you like? 
A green flag is someone who's comfortable with lube and vibrators because those are essential tools for a lot of pleasure for women and people with vulvas and someone who doesn't diminish your pleasure. I had one client who told her partner that you know, women need clitoral stimulation. Most of us don't orgasm from penetration. She went so far as to give him the chapter written for men in my book. And his response was, that's just one theory. Everybody's come with me by intercourse. And she was like, theory? That prince is like a scientist and a professor. It's not a theory. And he's like, I don't buy it. Now, that's a red flag. Yes. A green flag would be someone saying, wow, thank you for sharing that with me because like you're important to me and I want to learn as much about your body and your pleasure is important. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. That is a red flag. Speaking of these types of belief, what are some common myths that you had to debunk around women's pleasure and women's sexuality? There's so many. We could probably spend the next hours and hours and hours on this. The biggest one is that women should orgasm from penetration alone. And if you look at the movies, the porn, Mm. they pretty much show women having fast and fabulous orgasms from penetration alone. And the science tells us, no, the clitoris, not the vagina, is our most essential organ for orgasm. And only 4 to 18% of us can orgasm from penetration alone. 4 to 18%. Yet, you never, in the movies, you know, there's very little fooling around. The man puts his penis in the vagina and she's like, oh! You know, that's the biggest myth, I think, that Mm -hmm. we have to debunk. There's so many others, like Mm -hmm. vibrators are addictive. No, they're not. I mean, I can get into all the... Do vibrators desensitize or not? Okay, so the myth about vibrators. They're addictive. They desensitize your clit and they replace partners. Let me take those one at a time. So they're not addictive. An addiction is something you can't live without, you know, or you, you, you hardly function without. This is like saying carpenters are addicted to power tools. No, they're not addicted. They just get the job done faster and more efficiently, right. but they're not addicted to them. Okay, let's look at they'll replace men. No, in fact, that's a green slash red flag. A man who sees your vibrator as a threat is a red flag. One who sees it as his partner in your pleasure is a green flag. So no, they don't kiss. They don't cuddle. They don't say, I love you. They just provide really good stimulation that a lot of vulva owners love. So the metaphor I love to use for that one is if you were swimming in the pool with your partner and there was a raft in the pool and you jumped on the raft, you jumped off the raft, you have a fun day, you kiss, you're in the water, you're on the raft. You don't go home and call your girlfriend and go, oh, me and my raft had the best day. And oh, my boyfriend was there. Right. You just don't even mention the raft at all because it was just a tool to make the experience more pleasant. So now getting back to your original question in terms of desensitization, it depends what you mean by desensitization. Okay. People will say it will make your clit less sensitive. No. In fact, what we know from studies on rabbits, and rabbits have very similar clits to humans, is that it actually creates more sensitivity, more nerve endings. That's interesting. If by desensitization you mean you'll always need a vibrator to orgasm, which is, I think, what people mean often, then my answer to that is, so what? If you always need it, 
then always use it. And if you start to always want to use it and you don't want to for some reason, then just stop and resensitize your body to your hands. But what's interesting is we don't, we only talk about that when it comes to women's pleasure. We don't say to men like, oh my gosh, if you always orgasm by intercourse, (gasps) you might always want that. (laughs) (laughs) What reinforces those myths? Like what keeps them alive? I personally think it is a misogyny. And think about like a lot of these myths are about not needing men. A lot of these myths are about what if I don't need a penis? Penetration, I need that to orgasm or a vibrator will replace men. So, and I'm not blaming men, but they have also been duped and harmed by these cultural messages. Everyone is a victim of the patriarchy, including men. And their ego. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because they have been told that their masculinity depends on giving a woman an orgasm through penetration. That is just such a misguided idea. I think also the definition to sex is so narrowed down to penises to it's penetrative. People equate sex to penetration. They don't equate sex to the experience. They don't equate sex to nothing other than a penis and a vagina. Absolutely. And that language reflects and perpetuates the overvaluing of male sexual pleasure that is at the heart of the orgasm gap. I mean, we use the word sex and intercourse as if they're one and the same, as you said. We use the word foreplay for everything that comes before as if it's just a lead up to the main and most important event. And this one really bothers me. I think almost most of all, we call our entire genitals a vagina, therefore linguistically erasing our most orgasmic spots and calling our entire genitals by the part that is more important to men's sexual pleasure than our own. Never thought of it that way. It's This stuff is like, once you see it, it's very upsetting and it's you'll start seeing more and more and more all around you. This is a very, it's such a hidden form of sexism. We accept it as normal. You've mentioned the orgasm gap. For people who don't know what that is, what is the orgasm gap? So the orgasm gap is the opposite of orgasm equality. It is the consistent finding in the research literature that when cisgender men, people born with penises who identify as men, and I'm saying that very importantly because I don't want to exclude trans and non-binary people. It's just the research hasn't been done with them. So when cisgender women get it on with cisgender men, the women are having substantially fewer orgasms than the men. So let me underscore this with some statistics. In one study, for example, 39% of women versus 91% of men said they always or usually always orgasm during sex. That's a huge gap. Yeah, huge. And that study didn't ask the context of the sex, but subsequent research that asked the context, we find that the orgasm gap is the biggest in hookup sex. It gets smaller Mm -hmm. with subsequent hookups. It gets smaller with friends with benefits, smallest in relationship sex, but it never closes altogether. Even in the context of relationship sex, men are having about three orgasms to every female orgasm. A lot of people say, oh, it's because women's bodies are difficult, elusive, hard to make orgasm. Mm -hmm. But two other statistics make it clear that that's not the 
the problem. The problem is not our bodies. The problem is culture. One of those is that when women pleasure themselves or masturbate, we reach orgasm easily and within minutes. Nothing's wrong with our bodies when we're alone. When women get it on with other women, they have substantially more orgasms than when they get it on with men. Probably the most illustrative study, it included only 14 women, but I would bet my bottom, sex positive dollar, that we could replicate this and it would still hold. This was a study of 14 bisexual women who hooked up with both women and men. So same woman, same body. Mm-hmm. When they had first time hookup sex with women, they orgasmed 85% of the time. When they had first time hookup sex with men, hold your hat, they orgasm 7% of the time. Seven? So what does this tell us? All this tells us to cake and together, this tells us the problem's not our bodies. The problem is the way we do heterosexual sex. Um, I, I can't, I still can't wrap my head around seven. <laughs> seven per- it's less than two digits. It's less than two digits <laughs> indeed. Wow. I'm not blaming women. I'm not blaming our bodies. I'm not blaming men. I am blaming the cultural messages we get around sex and how it should proceed. Foreplay just to get her ready for intercourse. Intercourse, simultaneous mythical orgasm during intercourse. Sex over. Are there countries where the orgasm gap is lessened due to their sexual education? That's a great question. The orgasm gap does differ in by country. And the country with the smallest orgasm gap is the Netherlands. And they have a fantastic sex ed. Mm. It starts in elementary school and it goes all the way through, just like math or science, with increasingly, you know, detailed information. They talk about the clitoris. They talk about pleasure. They talk about orgasms. They talk about consent. What would the cursus look like? Because I'd be very curious to know, like from a young age, what you, you, you're taught about sexuality, about your body, about consent, up to being... Uh, somebody who graduates, what would the cursus look like? Well, I mean, you know, this is your nose, this is your elbow, this is your vulva, this is your clitoris, kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, this is how you give and get consent. This is how you revoke consent. This is what the clitoris is. You know, most women need it stimulated to orgasm. Just the kind of stuff we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And they're also much more inclusive of trans and gay and lesbian sexuality as well. Whereas our sex ed basically gives the message. Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise. And they define sex. They don't even define it. They just assume it's heterosexual penis and vagina sex. So we have such a bad sex ed system. In fact, the Society for Adolescent Medicine said that our sex ed system in the U.S. is a human rights violation. They took it, wrote a position paper because one fundamental human right is the right to accurate medical information. And what are we doing in sex ed? We're get, we're telling lies, not accurate medical information. I'm from Canada, so the, the education system is different. Oh, but okay, what are lies that are being told in sex ed in the U- U.S. specifically? Oh, so many. I mean, you know, if you have sex, you'll probably get an STI. But if you do touch each other, you will get chlamydia. And die. No, not if you do it safely. Mm-hmm. I hear so many crazy things. Here's the worst one I've ever 
heard. I had a student in my class who was told that if she had penetrative sex, although they just used the word sex, before she was married, her vagina would mold to the shape of that person's penis and her future husband would never be satisfied. Sorry, what? Yeah, you heard me right. This was literally told to her in school by a teacher. Ooh, okay. I haven't experienced that type of shaming in my sex ed, though I know some of my friends have heard similar phrases. And we're currently working on an episode on sexual shame and purity culture. And I, I've heard some pretty creative ways to compare women to objects, to limit women to their virginity, and also shame women for being sexual beings by women and men. There's a lot to unpack here here and stay tuned for that episode and there's probably going to be more conversation around it so yeah stay tuned the way my sex ed went was no pleasure talk and it was more on the anatomy in that oh yeah you're gonna bleed every month you're gonna make babies that way and you have a cycle but nothing on pleasure nothing on what a clitoris is nothing on stimulation so people end up having that education through porn right which is very false and did they i'm curious did they separate the the boys and the girls when i was in primary school they did not Primary school in Quebec is the equivalent of elementary school. So it's from six years old to 12 years old. Okay. Do they separate kids in the U.S.? In the U.S., they often separate the boys and the girls. And your mention of the period made me think of this because they'll teach the boys about ejaculation. They'll teach the girls about their periods. These are not the same things. They're they're totally different. (laughs) You know, one is sexual pleasure. The other is simply our cycle. So yeah, it's really bad. Really bad. I think they only view it through a lens of procreation. Exactly. It's heteronormative, all focused on procreation. Everything is penis in vagina. Everything is heterosexist and, you know, cis focused. Even the language. And, you know, I talked to my students about like, there's some serious dangers of that. So if they tell you sex is not safe, you might catch an STI, for example, right? So a queer youth who's young and doesn't know and is raised in our culture thinks, oh, intercourse is the problem. I don't do intercourse, so I'm fine. And they can catch an STI. So two women, for example, sharing a vibrator. I mean, there are huge, huge ramifications for these, our non-inclusive and lie-based, value-based sex ed. The shape of the penis, my God. Yeah, you'll never get over that one. I haven't. (laughs) The shape of the penis. Wow. In 2019, on your website, you've written a fascinating article that talks about the orgasm gap and you expanded on two aspects, one being double standards, the other one being lack of of knowledge. Mm -hmm. I was really curious to know about the double standards. I'll just pull up the, um, the excerpt from part five, the unfinished gender revolution. Young adults believe that in casual sex, women's pleasure is less important than men's pleasure. While it's still acceptable for women to engage in casual sex, it is not acceptable for them to seek sexual pleasure outside of a relationship. Is it still the case today? The women I talk to are still experiencing this, yes. You know, and the research backs it up. So for example, in casual sex, 
women are must, much less likely to receive than to give oral sex. But men are as likely to get it in a relationship as in a hookup. And my students just recently told me that the way hookups generally go if they involve penetrative sex is a blowjob for him followed by intercourse, period. Where's the female pleasure in that? There's none. Right. This is this hidden sexism, I think. It's like, it's so deeply ingrained in the fabric of our culture. Is there a lot of women that fake orgasms? 67% have faked orgasm at one time or another. And they most often fake during intercourse. And they often do so for one or one of three reasons they give. One, to have sex end because it's bad. You know, men think, oh, I can't stop till I give her an orgasm. Mm -hmm. Two, to not appear abnormal. And they're faking during intercourse because they think they should. Or three, the biggest reason is to make my partner feel good about himself. But by faking, you're teaching your partner to do exactly what doesn't work for you. And it's like a cycle. Exactly. I gave a workshop once and a woman raised her hand and said, okay, I get it. But now what do I do? I've been faking for 30 years. So what I said to her is at this point, you probably don't want to say that, right? Because mm -hmm. your partner's going to feel like you lied and, and betrayed him. And he's not going to understand that it was because you didn't know or you felt broken or he won't be able to wrap his mind around it was because he you cared. So here's what I advised her. I said, so you don't need to tell him that, but why don't you tell him, hey, I went to this workshop and I found out that most women, really their orgasms are enhanced with clitoral stimulation. That sounded really exciting to me because I love our sex life and I love you. Like, let's try that. And then she could kind of work her way there. That must be a tough position to be in because it's a lie, but it's not done with bad intention. Exactly. I mean, especially in the context of a loving relationship. A lot of times these women are faking because they think something's wrong with them, mm -hmm. you know, or they want their partner to feel good or they think their bodies are incapable of orgasm. How can one improve their sexual communication? Where And where does it start? Because I know people are in various journeys at various late stages of their sexual journey. Yeah. So that's, it's a, it's a really scary one for people. And so I like to start by telling people that I promise them that is easy easier to learn sexual communication than to learn to read your partner's mind. Mm -hmm. And I'm also fond of saying that communication is the bedrock to make your bed rock. Yes. It's really important. And we don't learn, just like we have bad sex ed, we don't teach people how to communicate even generally. We're all horrible, often communicators. So start with good general communication. Own your needs. What do you want? Say them with an I statement. I'd like this. I'd like that. We women are often socialized to ask questions that aren't questions to avoid owning our needs. Like think about the question, do you want to have sex? It's not a question ever. It either means I do, I hope you do, or I'm really tired and I hope you don't. Mm -hmm. So own your needs, use I statements, stop asking questions that aren't. Just like mindfulness, practice it out of the bedroom. And then in terms of the sexual communication, start to learn to talk about sex outside of the bedroom. What do you want to do? What do you like? Let's watch this movie together. Let's read this book together. And then in the bedroom, use your words. Harder, faster, slower. I'd like this. 
after it's over, talk about it. How was that? How could it have been better? That kind of thing. There's such a high correlation between good sexual communication and sexual satisfaction. And you know what? People can learn how to communicate if they buy your book. <laughs> they can. The two C's, the clitoris and communication. In fact, <laughs> yes. that the, the communication chapter is titled The Other C, Communication. Yes, that's amazing. That's true. It's we're also conditioned, and I'll I'll speak for for me as a woman of color to communicate things we don't like. I don't want you to touch my hair. I don't want you to do this. So when it comes to sexual pleasure, and you're supposed to communicate what you want, it becomes super difficult. Let me just add here: it's not limited to sexual pleasure. It's on a lot of spheres in our lives, and it becomes tricky to express what you want when you've never really had the opportunity to sit down and ask yourself what do you like the opportunity the time and the space this space to freely express yourself and ask yourself those questions and it's not until you're in a place well for me it's not it was not until i was in a place where i was able to unpack the messaging i had around sexuality that i took the time and sat down with myself and asked myself what do i actually like what do i want to experiment what do i want to explore I love the point you're making. You learn at least to say, which a lot of people don't. So I'm glad that you do. I'm glad you've learned to say, don't do this. I mean, I really want to empower that as well, because we know that 30% of people with vulvas have experienced pain during penetrative sex, and many don't say anything. And I also want to give the message, sex isn't supposed to hurt unless you're into BDSM and you want it to. But if something hurts, it's also okay to say, stop. That doesn't feel good. Both are important. Keep doing that right there and stop. That doesn't feel comfortable. What can you tell the listeners about your book, Becoming Clitorate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters? So it is a combination of cultural analysis and self-help based in science, hopefully written in a fun and funny way, because I think it's good to laugh about sex too. It makes it more comfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's um, a combination of cultural analysis and self-help to close the orgasm gap, both culturally and in individual bedrooms. So the first half is really unpacking the orgasm gap like we did today with studies and the causes. And then the second part is self-help. It teaches sex positive thinking, which we've talked about, mindfulness, which we've talked about about masturbation, changing the cultural scripts and sexual communication. And then it ends with a call to action, another kind of back to culture, what we can do. And there's also a summary chapter for people who have penises, who get it on with people with clitorises called You Don't Have to Have a Clitoris to Be Clitorate. <laughs> And Love it's, that. thank you. It's a summary of the whole book just for male readers to apply their knowledge sexually. That's amazing. And to be clitorate, the first step is to locate the clitoris. <laughs> yes. Well, there's also a chapter on anatomy, of amazing. course. <laughs> With diagrams. With diagrams too? Yes. We need that. You know, it's there was a study, like, I think it was like 25% of men and women couldn't locate the clitoris on a diagram. Interesting. So we need, yeah, we need, we need more people educated. 
Absolutely, Dr. Mintz. We need more people educated and we are blessed to have professors like you that break down concepts like the orgasm gap. You can follow Dr. Laura Mintz on Instagram at Dr. Laura Mintz. Also, buy her book, Becoming Clitorate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters. And as usual, everything that was discussed in this episode is in the description of the episode. I have been a part of that 67%. I thought I was broken, as I told in the beginning of the episode. I thought that I was abnormal and I had this fixation on time. The amount of time you're supposed to have sex, the amount of time sex is supposed to last, the amount of time it takes before you're supposed to achieve orgasm. Just really consumed with time, which would take me out of just the experience. And it took a lot of unpacking. But that's a topic for another episode. That's it for today's episode. And you already know what I'm about to ask. Hey, hey, it's uh, almost my birthday. And if you could go anywhere you listen to your podcast and rated five stars. <laughs> if you could go anywhere you listen to your podcast and rate my podcast five stars and give it a review again, again, give it a review. That would mean the world to me. And also, this is what keeps conversations going. If we bring traction to the podcast, there is more opportunities. And with more opportunities, what we can do is have more conversation and educate more more people so 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 please rate the podcast five stars <laughs> see you next week before we leave on production team recording editing and sound design by yours truly myself yancy special thanks to jane p for her assistance on production the official that's exciting anthem by calder nash the amazing vocals on the track by mel pacifico some instrumentals and loops you hear throughout the episodes from jude aka jude experience that's all for today's episode i'm your host yancy and until next week stay curious because that's exciting that's exciting